That's a wonderful prayer. Father, lead me day by day. What else could we ask on this eve of a new year? And we do thank you for the children, Harold, and all of them. The children that are coming next week, new students at this university, they're all children. They're your children. We're all your children. So speak to us these few moments we have together. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Philip Gulley, a Quaker minister, has written a whimsical book titled the book, Front Porch Tales, Stories of Family, Faith, Laughter, and Love, and it's full of all of that. One of his childhood recollections is of a time in which, well, I'll let him put it here, so I'm, I'm quoting Gully now. My family drove off and forgot me. We were on vacation, five kids, mom and dad, and we stopped to eat at a Stuckey's. You have to go to first service to know what a Stuckey's is. I was in the bathroom when they climbed back in the car and headed out. They went 20 miles before discovering they were short a kid. Took a quick vote and decided to come back for me. It was almost a tie, but at the last minute, mom changed her mind. (laughs) Oh, who would ever leave a child behind? Hmm. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. The land of Egypt is racked and ruined by this devastating assault of divine plagues like precision missiles, laser-guided one after another of the pantheon of the pagan country's gods eliminated. But the pagan monarch is desperate to cut one more deal. Okay, okay, okay. But you leave your children. Moses, unequivocal. No deal with this wily king. Our children shall go with us. Period. We gather today because this institution, if you're talking about the university, if you're talking about the congregation, this institution long ago made a solemn vow, a perpetual covenant, if you please, our children shall go with us. We will not go alone. We will not leave them behind. The children coming next week, the children the week after, we will not go alone. They shall go with us. No other reason supersedes this one in our raison d'etre. No greater reason can Andrews and Pioneer find to validate our existence than this one. Our children shall go with us. That is precisely Jesus' powerful point, and we need to get it. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. 
Matthew 18. We're going to begin in verse 1, and while you're finding it, let me just remind you, as if I have to, that Jesus was huge on the young. In a society where children were to be seen but not heard, quite unlike ours, Jesus kept pulling children into the center of attention. You think about it. Two of his three miracles are for kids. The first one is a 12-year-old only daughter. The second one is a teenage only son. I had worship with Andrews Academy faculty this Monday. And we spent some time thinking about that boy in a little mountain village called Nain. His mother's a widow. That boy was her only sustenance, his, her sole provider. But when Jesus, and, and, and I told the faculty, by the way, he's a teenager. They said, how can you find it? It's not in the record. I said, watch this. When Jesus raises the boy back up, the first words, the, the, the very next words in the gospel are, he sat up and began to talk. And who loves talking more than teenagers? And when he's up, he said, where were we when I fell asleep? Jesus was huge on the young And the children shouted, Hosanna's in the church. Grumpy old Pharisees walked over and said, come on, can't you hush up these kids? And Jesus said, do you know what? God has ordained the praise that they're speaking right now. On another occasion, Jesus went so far as to say, heaven is for the young. I'm telling you, he was huge on the young. And so when the disciples come elbowing their way into Jesus' attention that day in Matthew 18, they have one question on their minds. It's not kids. It's themselves. Yo, master, which one of us is the greatest? Me or he? 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 Jesus says, you've missed it all. Let's go. Matthew chapter 18, right there at the top. New International Version, here we go. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And I love the way Mark describes it. Jesus puts his arms around a child. So he's just holding that child. Was it a girl? Was it a boy? We don't know. But he, he wraps the child. What a picture of Jesus. What a tender thought. He just hugs the child. He places the child among them. And then he says to the boys... Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Isn't that beautiful? Whoever welcomes one child welcomes me. In a few days, we're going to welcome a whole lot of childs who are coming to this university for the first time. Yes, we are. And this is, a, this is a big deal now because for two years, Pioneer has not been able to host its annual new student dinner where we put tables out under all those trees and we have them sit down and we're giving them home-cooked meals and uh, food. And uh, so now, after two years missing it, we get to do it. Speaking of welcome, we get to do it. By the way, So many of you, true story, so many of you have promised to bring food that we need more families to host a table and bring no food. (laughs) Seriously. Good for Pioneer, I'm saying to Pioneer. So listen, if you would be willing to host host a meal, somebody else has made the food, but you're going to sit at that table, just love on those kids for the few minutes that you're with them on behalf of this campus congregation. You just do that number, 269-281-2345, and you just text the word picnic. 
I'll be there. And we'll count on you. We need you. Well, how does the line go? And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, Dwight, but that is talking about tiny tots. And these are not tiny tots coming to us. You are wrong. And now I'm going to show you. The very next verse, Jesus pivots on his sandal. And oh boy, here he goes. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, here it comes. And if anyone, by the way, fellas... If anyone causes one of these little ones, the Greek word for little is micro, micron. So everybody knows what micro is. There's macro and there's micro. Everybody knows micro is small, little. Well, see, I told you, Dwight, they're tiny tots. Keep reading. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, intellectual assent is going on. There's cognition. They're making choices. You don't have tiny tots doing that. So now he's raised the bar and come to, come to find out. Many scholars believe that, in fact, he's talking about new believers. You can be any age and be in that category. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, stop, hold it. The Greek word is scandalize right there. Scandalize. So whatever's going to come, this is, this is scandalous. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, keep reading, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea, end quote. This is provocative stuff. Can you believe it? Frederick Dale Bruner, in his marvelous two-volume commentary on the book of Matthew, he, he, just, he unpacks this for us. So let's, do with it. let's go to his unpacking. The millstone of which Jesus speaks is not the small hand operator. You know that little round thing? No, it's not that. But the large mule-driven one. It's huge. Making the picture particularly grotesque. Because what did Jesus say? What are you going to do with that large stone? When Jesus says that it would be better to be drowned with this stone around the neck than to trip up even one little one, and remember, anybody fits in the little one, he means that it would be a blessing if a person died this awful death before misleading a little one by false teaching or false living and so suffer eternal damnation. Whew. That's pretty heavy. What's going on here? You know what's going on? Jesus is quietly but seriously upping the ante. He's raising the bar on the high price, even the, the, the higher expectations that attend spiritual leadership. And anybody that works at a Christian university wants to be known as a spiritual leader. It doesn't matter what discipline you represent. We're all spiritual leaders. And he's just raised the bar on us. Whoa. Apparently, spiritual leaders for Christ must be on the alert, on the lookout for that which would scandalize, to borrow Jesus' language, that which would scandalize a young or a new believer into a path of certain doom. What in the world, Dwight, are you talking about? I spent part of my study break this summer drilling down on this insidious killer arrow in Satan's demonic quiver, the arrow that he has saved till last, 
poison arrow. That arrow. Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about pornography and sexual addiction. That arrow. You know what the truth is? I realized this summer. Pornography, sexual addiction, one leads to the other. One leads to the other. It doesn't matter. You're dead meat either, either way. Whoa. How insidious, how deadly is this last arrow in his quiver? Let me run a few numbers by you. There are books of numbers, but I'm, I've picked seven. So I'm going to run seven stats by you right now. Stat number one, porn is a global estimated 79 billion industry with about $12 billion of that coming from the U.S. China's the highest in the world in consumption of pornography, but the U.S. is right behind. Stat number two, in 2019 alone, the equivalent of nearly 6,650 centuries. When I, when I wrote this down, I thought it meant years. And suddenly I realized, when I was going over it with a PowerPoint producer Friday, I realized, good night, that word is centuries. 6,650 centuries. That would be 665,000 years of porn was consumed on, the, on one of the world's largest porn sites. And they're proud of it. I'm not going to tell you what that porn site is, but they're boasting. 6,650 centuries have been spent with human beings looking at that screen and consuming our product. You can't believe it. Stat number three, one out of three Americans seeks out porn at least once a month, 32%. 49% of Americans never seek out porn. Well, at last, some good news. Less than half of the nation doesn't even look. Stat number four, 49% of young adults, college students, 32% for teens say all or most of their friends use porn regularly. I had a kid from the academy in my office this last winter, and that's exactly what he told me. He said, everybody does it. Everybody. Really? What is this? Number five, 51% of all Americans seek out porn at least occasionally. Half the nation. 57% of young adults, 18 to 25, seek porn at least once a month. That's our college age now. Six, practicing Christians. This is a quote from Barna's research. Practicing Christians do indeed seek out porn much less frequently than other teens and adults. And that's good news. Just 2% of practicing Christians search for porn daily compared to 8% of the other Americans. Seven in ten practicing Christians, 72%, report never searching for porn. God bless you. Compared to 39% of those who do not practice Christianity. So Christianity does have an effect. Holding it back. But there's, there, there, there's one more quote. This is significant. This is number seven. A low-priority faith is strongly correlated with more frequent porn-seeking. In fact, self-identifying Christians. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you an Adventist? Yeah. Self-identifying Christians who do not consider their faith important. I'm just following along because mom and dad are there. It's not a big deal for me. I'm not in it. Self-identifying Christians who do not consider their faith important are more likely than the national average to seek out porn daily, weekly, once or twice a month. Unbelievable. What's this telling me? What's this telling you? Just because students are on our three campuses and say they are Adventists or Christians does not mean they are not regular users and consumers of pornography. And by the way, that would apply to adults. Just because you teach or work in a Christian university does not mean you are not a sexual addict. That's what it's saying. 
The lines between the world and church have become hopelessly blurred. But this much we can know, going back to Jesus in Matthew 18. He is unequivocal in his warning against spiritual leaders. And you're talking about parents and teachers and pastors and chaplains and professors and spiritual volunteers of all stripes, Sabbath school teachers and elders. Jesus is warning us against doing anything to cause the youth, to cause the young believers to endanger and even lose their souls. He could hardly be more stern in the warning. Come on. Matthew 18, 6 again. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Talking about a bright red-letter warning. Wow, Jesus seems like he's really ticked off. No, he's not really ticked off, but he really loves children of all ages. He loves children. And if you make that child lost, there are some who in the name of compassion and tolerance and broad-mindedness, like they like to say, are unwittingly unintentionally pushing a sexual addiction advocacy that can go like this. Hey, listen, girl. Hey, boy. I'm not against that. I mean, look, look, everybody's different. And everybody has the right to enjoy sexual expression the way they feel is right to them. So don't don't worry about it. But frankly, that no-stand kind of stance can push boys in their early 20s, can push girls in that same age bracket, can push them into a way of sexual living that will end up in the scandalizing loss of their souls. That's the point. It is not compassion. I don't care how you describe it. It is not compassion to turn a blind eye to what you know is wrong. It is not compassion to say, hey, different strokes for different folks. That isn't compassion at all. That's culpability. And you're pushing him. Go, girl. Come on. Why would you do that? Why would you want to do that? Jesus is right. There is a high price for those who are called to spiritual leadership. Is it too high a price? I think not. Hey, listen, there's no higher privilege in life than to be called by Jesus as you have been called and as I have been called to shepherd children of the faith. To say to them, no, 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 hey, 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 don't go, don't, 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 don't go down there. Hey, hey, come back, come back, come back, come back. No, 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 no. To shepherd, to guard to love on the young who can be every age in the heart of Jesus. And by the way, you don't do that as a policeman. You do that as a spiritual guardian, a mentor. Think seriously about what you say to kids. Think seriously about what you publicly advocate. And don't, mis- don't mistake your tolerance for compassion. That's all. 
It's not compassion. And by the way, to, to help you be that mentor, that spiritual friend, this fall, we got our lead chaplain sitting on the front row, Jose Bourget. This fall, the Center for Faith Engagement has invited Pioneer to join them in sponsoring a sexual purity conference called Pure Desire in October. I'm not going to give you the dates. In October. This outside organization will come onto our campus for a Friday night and a Sabbath conference, the likes of which we have never seen on this campus. And it'll be dealing, this conference, with sexual addiction, sexual freedom, and sexual purity from a Christian point of view. Okay? Because they will charge all attendees, Pioneer is going to raise the money to greatly reduce the per-attendee charge. And by the way, of course, you're right. Students are our first priority. Is that not right? Students are our first priority. But also high on the priority list are teachers, our volunteer leaders, spiritual mentors, chaplains, pastors, parents, elders. Why? Because Sabbath school teachers. Why? Because it takes a village to raise a child. You can't just say, you got to raise a child. No, it takes a village or at least a campus to raise a child. And so they're inviting everybody to sign up. More on that later. But the point is, we can't just sit here and cluck our tusks. Oh, what a, what a mess this world is in. Oh, we're wringing our hands. What shall we do? What shall we do? Nonsense. We act. We act. Because sexual purity leadership means we lead the way. Which leads to one more statistic. I wish I didn't have to share this one. This will be number eight from Barna. Barna Research in its national survey discovered one in five youth pastors, 21%, and one in seven senior pastors, 14%, admitted they were currently using porn. It's an anonymous survey. About half do so at least a few times per month. And the vast majority feels guilt or shame when they do so. More than half the youth pastors who use porn, 56%, and one-third of the senior pastors who use porn, 33%, believe they are addicted. That's sad. It's the truth. Now, before you put on your pharisaical garbs and look down that long nose of yours, if those numbers are true for pastors... What's to say they aren't true for professors? What's to say those numbers aren't true for teachers? What's to say those numbers aren't true for spiritual leaders? Apparently. Frederick Dale Bruner again draws from Jesus' words this somber caveat. One's eroticism. We'll just call that sexual addiction, okay? One's sexual addiction may be breaking out in one's conversation, and one has no idea what's happened. Nobody knows about me. Nobody knows what I'm doing. You may think, but Bruner has a point. One's sexual addiction may be breaking out in one's conversation unwittingly in one's lifestyle, and in one's teaching more often than one realizes with deleterious effects on the community. We all suffer. You don't know it, 
but we've been affected. It doesn't matter what you teach. It doesn't matter what you do. My. So apparently you're not just hurting yourself. In other words, if you yourself as a spiritual leader in any form are struggling with porn and sex addiction, you are a wounded practitioner whose addiction is subtly but negatively impacting all the children you teach, no matter their age, no matter your subject, which means the emphasis this fall has to be on us, me, you, all of us. Jesus has all the power we all need to be set free from all our addictions. And we all have addictions. So that's good news for all of us. How did he put it? Ah, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, he said, for they shall see God. Well, that's a beautiful text. Call upon me, quoting the same God, Call call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you. Yes, I will. And you will glorify me. Oh, yes, you will. What a testimony I'm going to give you when I deliver you. Here's another one. For I will contend with him, that dark warrior with his deadly arrow. I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. Can I get an amen to that promise? I will save those children. I want to use you, but I don't have to use you. I need to use you. I will contend with the one who contends with you, and I'll save your children. Your children. Your children. I'll save them. I remind you, this same Jesus contends with that mutual enemy at the cross in that mortal battle down to the last dying breath. It is hand-to-hand combat at Calvary. And when he wins the victory, oh, I love the way Paul comes along and says, let me tell you about that victory at Calvary. This is Colossians 2.15, one of my now favorite verses, Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Isn't that good news? Wow, triumphing over them. Lucifer has been shamed ever since Calvary, shamed in the eyes of the universe. Look what you did to the king. But by the king's victory, look what he can do, Jesus, for you and me. Ah. Everything we need for a life of purity is already ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it come true. Blessed are the pure in heart. He'll make that true for you and me. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Hey, listen, I want to be pure in heart. Don't you? I want to have the purity of Jesus. I don't want anything impure in my life. Jesus, I want to be like you. That's what spiritual leaders are. They, they, they want to be like Jesus. And I want to protect every child you send to me, Jesus. Every, every student that you entrust to me, I want to protect that child. I don't want to send her, I don't want to send him down a scandalized pathway that ends in doom and death. So help me, please. So help me, God. That's what I want. Don't you want that? Come on. Spiritually, as I know, I know. Our children 
shall go with us. And by his grace, they shall go with us. We're going. And they'll go with us.